Welcome to Sonic Talk number 349. Looks like it should have some sort of importance, that number. I expect it's something that can't be devised devised by some other number. But anyway, if Mark was here, he'm sure he'd be able to tell us. But he's not here, and we have this week a gang. Uh, we haven't had them together for a little while, so I'm going to go to uh, first to Gaz Williams there, because look, he's, 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 he's looking kind of like very rock and roll with his bass up in the air. If there was a monitor below waist height, I'm sure he'd have his feet on it as well. There he goes. Easy. I saw you, I saw you doing um, doing some operatic singing the other day, which was very different to the uh, image you're portraying at this very moment. Anyway, Gaz Williams, music technologist, uh, bass player, and uh, owner of uh, Sonus Wahoo. Oh no, volume. No. Oh, the volume. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. That, I've been set this. Uh, I've been uh, I've been endorsed by Sonus now, which is fantastic because. I, you know, as some of you might know, I'm such a huge fan of the Wahoo, the one before this. But this is pretty cool from a synthy sort of point of view because it's uh, it's a volume pedal, but it gives you like kind of much more like synthesizer type of uh, macro editing of it. But you can do one thing that's incredibly cool, trigger like a regular volume pedal, but instead of having the motion actually be in the volume, just the motion just triggers a preset fade. Or, and then the preset fade out again. Ah. So, like, you could do wicked, like, violin-type stuff because, like, each time you, you've actually set what the fade is. So, actually, oh, so it's all like, that is... like a very editable vibrato stroke, uh, not a vibrato, what, tremolo-type thing, yeah. auto-pan, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's also got LFO in there. But it's actually got a dual LFO that Ooh. can sort of... Uh, so it's an analog again like the wahoo it's an all analog signal path but you've got all this kind of fancy digital control over it and it's got like but now what they've done on this which is better than the wahoo is that they've actually apart from the usb you've actually got din plugs now for your midi so um oh so you could use it like a midi foot volume as well yeah it, yeah it does it just functions and also over the usb it functions as a just a class compliant expression pedal as well so excellent well again gaz thank you very much i'm sure sonus will be delighted at your first gig as the <laughs> uh, as the endorsee just straight in there with uh, with the no, good work no but, uh, but it's totally relevant and so fine. into it <laughs> that's i'm fine. so into it that's the thing I, I was so passionate about the wahoo i was just really into it so you know sorry, sorry. No, it abso- it's, it's, it's absolutely wicked. fine no they are we did a because we did if you want to check out Gaz did a review for us of the the Wahoo, and I'm guessing the mechanics are going to be quite similar, but in the amplitude domain there. But do check it out. So yes, Gaz Williams there in uh, Bristol in uh, recent Sonus and Dorsey. Um, if anybody else wants to endorse any of our panelists for anything, then you can contact them <laughs> via their various um, uh, website properties. I'm sure they'd be happy to discuss it. I can't speak for them, but you know. Anyway, um, I, I also we haven't had Rich Hilton in for a little while. Rich is there. The sun seems to be streaming through the window, or is it, or is it bouncing off the 10 feet of snow and icicles it's bouncing ah. uh, and it's and it's actually lightly snowing at the moment ah how quaint rich hilton of course uh, keyboard player with chic out on the road a lot of the time also in the studio with mr nile rogers uh obviously not right now he's at home snowed in i'm guessing you can still make it oh, to no. work you can still make it to work right oh yes excellent yeah there will be work today 
Ah, okay. So uh, as we like to guess, there's a, a limousine or perhaps a snowplow of some kind of extremely <laughs> con- complex device to make sure that uh, Rich can get to work and wax hot ones all day. Well, a Prius is a pretty complex device. And That's it's true. in my garage waiting for my humble foot to <laughs> apply to it. Accelerator pedal. Ah, well, I hope you have a good day at work. Anyway, thank you very much, Rich, for coming in. And uh, we'll also go to... Uh, Oh, no, we won't. We will there. Robbie Williams, who's in Robot Studio. Robbie, of course. Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. What the hell am I thinking? <laughs> I think it was... The, I think, what, what? If only I had money. Yeah, I was just... It, it was just a, a, a Freudian slip. I've heard that Robbie Williams is also a very keen synthesizer collector <laughs> and also likes to light his studio. Nice try, Nick. <laughs> Robbie Bronham. I don't know where that came from, Robbie, but, you know, it's, it's got to be a good thing. Robbie Bronham, of course, uh, they're at Robot Studios where he uh, mans the controls, making compositions, productions, yep. film composition. He's also got this fabulous... Um, Project Sushi Friday, or fr- is it Friday Sushi or Sushi Friday? Sushi Friday, yeah. Sushi Friday, which uh, is all sort of real-time live played electronica. How's that going? Yeah, yeah, it's going very well. We did three days last week, and um, we've nearly finished our first track. So there's a few more. There's a few more video sort of blogs online at Sushi Friday Music. Yeah, so it's cool. Excellent. But, um, I've been a bit excited this week because I've gone all nostalgic, and I I bought from eBay my first ever keyboard. Ah. Uh... An MT-68, after talking about it a few weeks ago. Um, so I've been enjoying putting that actually into a couple of new tracks this week. Does that go, is that the one that goes with the sort yeah, of metallic yeah. hi-hat rhythms and what have you, and the magic yeah. piano? Fan- has it got the fantasy tone? <laughs> yeah, it's got a fantasy tone, and it's got these little modifier modulation buttons and a weird sort of sustain reverb thing. It's great. And even better, it takes batteries. It takes batteries, yeah. I can I see it from Dixon's in 1985, and I managed to get it from eBay for 20 quid. Ah, uh, I can just see you at the back of the Robbie uh, of the Howard Jones tour bus, entertaining and you know, writing songs on the fly on your Casio. Yeah, auto accompaniment and speakers. I've gone against everything I believe in. Oh, yes, in fact, what's going on there? You did say that speakers do not belong on any keyboards. So now you, so now we see, you know, the, the hard line is gradually beginning to... Uh, yeah, exactly. The OP1 and the MT68. So they're my only concessions to speakers. Right, well, we'll see, uh, I say. Speaker, we'll see. The speaker died on my OP1. It just stopped working. Uh, uh, I feel like... I obviously feel like mourning it now. It feels so sad. I'm so, so upset about it. Oh, no. And I'm guessing you can't really uh, open it up, can you? I mean, if you send it back to to uh, to HQ, you could have a teenager look at it for you, I suppose. <laughs> Teenagers. Ah. As if. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I haven't said hello to Dave Spears. Dave Spears there sitting there looking looking like, you know, the Don of synthesizers right there with his... He is. OB8 voice behind him. Bose headphones. If Bose are watching and they'd like to endorse me, I fully recommend Bose headphones and earbuds. Yeah, me too. I've still got these these skull candy ones that I've found outside my house. Oh, I so think I, you'll find bows are better. I think I think I probably would find bows were better <laughs> if I could actually afford them. Anyway, good day, Spears. Course, G4 Software makers of fine software instruments and many things. Any releases this week? Any more sound packs or anything of this of the kind? No. 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 Okay, then. <laughs> so you were saying that you, you'd been ensconced in a studio for 24 hours. Is there anything you can talk about? No. Ah, all right, then. Right, I'm moving on. 
So always good to have Dave on. Likes to keep his cards close to his chest. So, as, leaves it to me to reveal all the secrets. Right. Anyway, thank you very much for for joining us. Um, I was wondering whether or not we've got that we've got a couple of. Um, topics here the, the the one that just sort of came in which has been rather uh, 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 i don't know if it's been much of a shock but we should probably talk about it just purely because uh it is big news uh, but just before i say uh thank you to isotope for sponsoring the show of course because uh, they are our sponsors and you will be hearing a message from them later stay tuned right this is big news this is uh nasdaq and avid um not and nasdaq is not one of those words that you usually hear in terms of uh, um music technology companies but obviously nasdaq uh, have delisted pro tools i mean we i think the news was, we spoke about this some time ago that they were going to be and i guess this is the deadline has expired and this has happened and peter kern's written an article um i'd like to point out that all of these things went out after i tweeted that uh, that it is which is after dave sent me the link to the story but <laughs> But yeah, very interesting article. But what's more interesting about this is lots and lots of people are sort of commenting in the co- uh, commenting in the comments because, as we've said before, you know things like this, you know the market is often all about confidence and with Pro Tools being such a stalwart in you know not only in, in the music business but in the film industry. I mean there are other options obviously, and um, but is is it is it a ner- is it something to worry about? I mean, Rich, you are a regular Pro Tools user. Does this sort of thing bother you? Bother you? I mean, we have talked about this sort of in the past, but would you be thinking, hmm, time for a Plan B at least on the horizon, or are you uh, not too bothered about this news? Well, there's two answers to that question. One is I'm not worried because Pro Tools will survive before Avid and will survive after Avid if that is what's going to happen to it. But um, but as for the plan B, always, always, every day of the week, every month of the year, always looking at plan Bs. I guess I'm guessing Pro Tools doesn't buy you many Valentines. I mean, imagine you have to sit in front of it every day <laughs> and the whole time you're thinking about somebody else, potential, and it's a potential as well. <laughs> well I've always got like a, you know, a line of DAWs in my menu bar. I mean, there's just, I've got a bunch of them to choose from. I work there almost all the time, but I could work in any of them if I had to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, do you think, I, I'm, I mean, obviously this is going to be a massively speculative uh, conversation because we don't really know what's going to happen. But I mean, assuming, you know, any company that's in sort of financial straits and there are sort of some fairly scary statistics going on here in terms of, you know, operating capital and loss, you could find all those sort of things online at those sort of, those kind of financial websites where they report this sort of thing. Um, they're going to have to jettison something fairly major. I mean, people have been talking about maybe selling on Sibelius, but... Uh, I, I would think that would be something like a drop in the ocean. It's going to have to be one of the bigger properties, isn't it, if they're going to raise any cash? And what do you think, Robbie? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not one who speaks from much experience with Pro Tools. I used it in the early days when Howard had a system. I don't know what it was, a Mix 24 Plus system or something. And he kind of jumped ship, and I've never really had much experience with it. So I kind of feel a little bit of an outsider, but I've got a lot of friends who... Who you know who've had it and and still use it or move to other things and um yeah I think they just probably just spread themselves too thin with all these extra companies and they should have just really concentrated on servicing the you know the the core market of Pro Tools which to me looks like and the Sibelius thing which look like the two main things which you know they really should be putting their efforts into. Yeah, I mean I guess that the difficulty is uh, you can't really sell Pro Tools on its own because it's all tied in with all their live venue stuff and all that whole live sound things as well which is not necessarily someone who'd be interested in one of those might not be interested in the others it's a, it's a tricky one dave you uh, you had experience of 
being underneath the sort of avid uh, umbrella for a, for a short while. Um, try and keep your vitriol to <laughs> to a minimum, I'm sure. But I mean, what do you think? Do you think what are their options? Uh, I don't know. I think I made my feelings pretty clear in a previous one, in a previous podcast to do with the CEO at that time, who seemed to have. Uh, I mean, there is this fantastic anecdote, isn't it? How to make how do you make a million pounds in the music industry? Answer: Start with at least two. And I think they seem to have done a reasonably good job of that. And I think Rob is right. You know, they should have just focused on the core things. I mean, obviously, when they brought Digi Design into the fold, then Pro Tools. Avid as a non-linear editing system was one of the kind of first and industry standards in the whole video industry. And that got knocked by uh, Final Cut Pro and such like. I think, for me, there's always... It's a very uneasy relationship when you look at music and stock market. And when you start looking at kind of, you know, Harvard graduates, you know, the kind of business school graduates running music companies, I think uh, therein probably lies a lot of the problem. So, yeah, I mean, for me, the ultimate solution would be for, say, somebody like Focusrite to acquire all the digi stuff. For me, that would work really well. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Because th- th- they, they now cover oh. live stuff as well. I don't know. What do you think, Rich? <laughs> oh, the irony. <laughs> to think of Focusrite acquiring Pro Tools, you know, 25 years after Pro Tools distributed Focusrite or whoever DigiDesign. There was a whole union. Oh, yeah, at that's one true. Point. Yeah. Well, that's what goes around comes around, you know, in many ways, I suppose. I don't know. Gaz, are you, I mean, I get you, you know, I know you're not a Pro Tools user so much. Uh, hmm. But it's interesting. It's more, like I say, it's more kind of what what happens to something like this and how does it get... Because, I mean, obviously, Pro Tools has got a life of its own. It's never going to go away. I mean, that, that, the, the users just would not allow it, you know, just because there's too many of them, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think this is an issue about the parent company rather than Pro Tools, though, isn't it? You know, yeah. and sort of avid business practices, etc. And I think that, you know, in a way, mixing it up is possibly... I, I believe, as Rich says, you know, I think whatever would happen, Pro Tools is too valuable uh, an asset for it just to vanish and someone would buy it and it would continue. Uh, but I think the interesting thing, that uh, reading the uh, the Create Digital Music, the CDM blog about it and the comments, um, lots of interesting comments. Uh, Guy, Guy Sixworth, Sixworth, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was very vocal on that, wasn't he? So that was quite interesting. But um, it did make me think that, in a way, Pro Tools spans this kind of uh, period of time where the amount of people who've come into making music te- uh, with technology has just grown possibly, I don't know, exponentially, or certainly as computers, everything. You know, it, when Pro Tools was first out, the amount of people who were kind of maybe in that that world was quite few, and now is just gigantic. So, uh, so in the early days that they'd cornered the market, uh, so, something that, the comments are going on a lot about is that Pro Tools is an older generation, you know, for the older generation of people, you know, people who've been using it for a long time and that a lot of newer, younger producers don't have any sort of attachment to it. Uh, yeah, it's and- a different, it's true. It's a different process though. I mean, this is one thing that I was thinking about before the show as well, a little bit was the fact that um, it was one of the first standalone DAWs that worked in a computer environment that you could rely on if you had a 108-piece orchestra in a room and they needed to be recorded. 
Pro Tools would more than likely do it as compared to the rest of the stuff. You know, uh, obviously everything has problems. IT is always an issue with with any complex setup, but it was the one of the most robust systems from the start, and it was the earliest uh, and the best sound quality for the time available. Because before, without outside of Pro Tools, it's easy to forget that there was just so much like cobbled together not quite working properly yeah it's all right as long as you do it in this order kind of nonsense that we all had to deal with and i think that counts for a lot because i mean essentially you know it's like all of these things that happen it's you know if we're you're you work with a, a touring band and one of the guys in the crew also works with coldplay or gabriel or any of these other people they say oh yeah we use this and you go oh we'll try that then and then very quickly it becomes the norm just because everybody goes i know i can trust it it just works and that's something that i think has forgotten a little bit about maybe not what avid have done but certainly what digidesign did and you know and and, and they can to a great degree rely on that reliability factor and that's the thing that's kind of crept up underneath them isn't it that the fact that other stuff works too uh, i know robbie you you kind of like you use motu stuff and you use live live but i mean you would presumably you wouldn't use that to multi-track record the show no, right? i mean I, I've, I've got an apogee symphony io in the studio just purely because it's it was the only thing that had the, the wealth of ASCBU and, and analog ins that i needed for like my speaker system and my system 6000 and stuff. But I've actually just got a, um, a Universal Audio Apollo this week purely to use as um, channel strips because of, with, the new, with the flex out thing, I can basically run all my mics into it and in real time through the console track you know, anything through all the UAD plugins that I've got anyway. Yeah, um, that's a so, nice move. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. But I mean, what I, what I can't understand about the whole... Um, Pro Tools thing is I always think the the hardware always just seems to be, you know, it, the whole the whole premise of it always seems to be behind the kind of curve. I mean, when they brought out that last system that was all PCI cards, I mean, the writing was already on the wall for that, you know, for PCI cards. And like I think Guy Sigsworth said in the in the, in the chat room, who wants to spend all this money on a Pro Tools, you know, HDX system, whatever, and then have this noisy, you know box in the room that has to have all fans in it and stuff to run all the cards it just seems like they should have been putting their efforts into like getting robust thunderbolt solutions ready and all that kind of thing Mm. Well, that, yeah, that, that perhaps that might tie in with another subject that we've got. Rich, I mean, you've had to deal with all of this hardware, you know, upgrade path. And I know, as with any platform, it can be incredibly frustrating. It's like, and when do you jump? When do you, you know, when you do that? But I mean, you could just stop where you are. I mean, it wouldn't just just because they, you know, if, if, if it pauses development for a little while, you know, assuming it, that even is going to happen, it's not necessarily going to be a problem for you, right? Well... Problem. Define problem. Um, uh, you know, I'm really glad that I'm running Pro Tools 11 right now, for example. Right. Uh, could I have planted a flag in Pro Tools 9? Absolutely. Could I have planted a flag in OS Snow Leopard? Absolutely. Um, a lot of people do. I just don't. And I'm really happy right now for the advantages. The, the particular work I'm doing right now is really well supported by the features in Pro Tools 11 that weren't in the previous versions. That said, those features were quite often in other people's software long ago, and I, I freely you know, agree to that. And there's one other aspect of this discussion I wanted to address quickly, and that's the cultural social aspect of it. And that is that the way people make music has changed. And Pro Tools is developed around a fairly old-fashioned paradigm of you're running a virtual tape machine. Mm. And there are, sure, there's MIDI, and you can edit the audio up the wazoo, and there's time stretching and all that sort of kind of thing. But um, it's 
it's uh, built around a paradigm of music creation that is not necessarily as large a piece of the creative market as it once was. And so now you got guys who never touched the Pro Tools system, who learned in Cubase or learned in Ableton or learned in, you know, wherever, you know, digital performer. And, and that's what creation means to them. And they get wonderful results there because all of these things work pretty well. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, but again, as, as we talked before, I mean, you use live, but you wouldn't be able to use it for a multi-track recording. You still need something to be able to do that, right? So Sure, I could, if I had to, oh, okay. or wanted to. Absolutely, I could. <laughs> right, okay. I don't think and Studio One, and... Sorry, yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I, I agree. I, I think I was just more interested in exploring the kind of concept of what happens when, um, when you... When you have to think about, you know, what what else you might work on. Sorry, I've just uh, hit the <laughs> I just hit the uh, intro button again. I managed to stop it in time. I was I obviously need some sort of equivalent. I need I need one of those kind of uh, control surfaces for Pro Tools for here. <laughs> B with lots of lights on. That's what I'd really like, rather yeah. than my uh, very functional but working nano control that does it. Just so I, you can use trackpad only. Trackpad only. Yeah, there's a concept. Now isn't that or trackball? That's what loads of people who have those big icons. They only end up ever using the Kensington. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I, that's what I know. At least a couple of people who do that. That is a pricey trackpad. Uh, speaking of, uh, well, <laughs> not speaking of anything, I'd just like to say we've got an absolutely bumper crop in the chat room today. 110 people, which is uh, which is good for for a, for a Wednesday afternoon. So, uh, <laughs> well, if you if you're ever interested in joining us again, uh, I suppose you probably know this if you're watching. But if you're listening audio only, sonicstate.com forward slash live is probably the thing to do. Um, this feels like um, we shall see. You know, I mean, I'm guessing that uh, as something like Avid is driven by shares and shareholders and financial concerns, you know, some action will have to be presumably taken or will have to be seen to be taken quite rapidly to change up the situation. And I think as Peter Kern said in his article on Create Digital Music, you know, one thing is certain that something is likely to happen fairly extremely from a business point of view, just because that's the way these things tend to go. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what actually happens. Sonic 837 in the 9837 says, yeah, everybody's on the dole. That's why it's so busy, which is uh, <laughs> the Dull being unemployment if you're outside of the UK. Um, I think it's probably time for our ad. I want to say thank you very much to Isotope for uh, their sponsors of the show. Uh, you will be aware, hopefully, of uh, Beat Tweaker, which is some Break Tweaker, sorry, that came out uh, at NAM. Uh, it's a collaboration between uh, Isotope and BT. Uh, BT did work on uh, a previous plugin with them as well. And this is essentially allows you to do a whole bunch of things in the beat domain you can have manipulate audio at the molecular level you can reinvent any beat controlling pitch rhythm uh, texture on the finest resolution on the market free yourself from traditional drum grids grids you can create polyphonic polytonal all sorts of stuff i'm just turning up the music it's gone a bit quiet there we are. Uh, experiment with stunning content. You've got lots of content. Explore presets, drum samples, wavetables designed by today's top musicians and DJs, including BT. Uh, create the perfect drum sound. You can blend some samples and robust synthesis features to generate hybrid sounds and take control of your beats with Isotope Break Tweaker. In fact, you can get it from Break Tweaker isotope.com forward slash break tweaker for your 10 day trial, which is what they do uh, for a lot of their software. So please do. Uh, check it out and we want to thank them very much for their sponsorship of the show thanks very much right next topic um i guess because that i sort of threw that one in there a little bit so i'm guessing we can kind of we can chop it up a little bit uh we've got a couple of things here we've got the obviously mobile technology uh is in the focus at the moment what with the um 
a mobile world conference. And does anybody care to talk about this? It has ramifications. I'm not seeing any nodding of heads. Okay, the other one is the Zoe Keating cellist. No, okay, so I've not done very well on the topics this week. <laughs> oh, you... Yeah, okay, well, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go with Mobile World Conference, cause, uh, just because I can. This is uh, in Barcelona, the home of uh, Gaudi. There is the Mobile World Conference, which is uh, where all the great and the good of the mobile world, uh, phones, tablets, all of that kind of stuff, get together every year. And it's got to be really massive. In fact, this year... Mark uh, did the keywork speech, key, uh, the, the keynote speech, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, they've just a actually acquired WhatsApp, which is uh, they basically bought, with the acquisition of WhatsApp, a billion users and got their mobile phone numbers, which is a flipping terrifying concept, because that, that means, well, for a start, they're going to start doing that direct text marketing to all of them. Uh, but the other thing was really, you know, this is the kind of technology that is driving so much of what's happening in, in, in certainly in mobile computing, in, in, uh, and influencing the music technology that we use at the other end. I mean, the new Galaxy S5 is a quad-core 2.5 gigahertz machine, right? In a, you know, in something like this big. I mean, that is just mind-blowing. My my um, Mac Pro over there has got eight cores, but they're only 2.4 gigs. So you know, it's kind of we're ending up with with this technology just moving down and down and down the food chain so so fast. Um, Gaz, you're a big, you know, you're a co-host of Sonic Touch. Uh, I, I must admit, I was looking desperately for some stories that would reflect hugely on uh, and have impact in what we're doing. And it just doesn't seem to be the case maybe this year, apart from this huge amount of uh, CPU power just coming into things. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly interesting, isn't it, to see things develop at the pace that they're doing. Uh, I am really interested in the idea of very powerful mobile computers. So... Uh, so the fact that the mass market is is doing that, isn't it? I mean, these things just are, they don't, these phones are just to everybody, aren't they? So in terms of the market, it's the biggest market there is. So if there could be a knock-on, I think that's, that, that's cool. But as we've seen with Sonic Touch, though, it's finding cohesive ways to utilize this technology in ways that's kind of, uh, that that there's great workflow involved, and um, yeah, all the all the things that I've seen on every, any, not just on iOS, on any platform, you know, they, some of the apps themselves are wonderful, but just uh, to utilize all this power in in a way that we're used to with a computer, uh, maybe the closest thing that we've seen now is um, audio bus type of thing on the on the iOS platform, but. Um, uh, that's what I wonder, though. I mean, obviously, that is not of that much interest to the mobile world because I guess the music side of it is uh, relatively small. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, because if you think about what music development and music consumption and what have you did for the uh, Apple mobile, I mean, that's what drove the entire, you know, it drove the entire thing, really, you know, because of these neat apps that were being developed for it are the things that were mostly on the music side. And they, they were the things that got all the publicity and that you could hook up with trendy artists and what have you. So, I mean, there is a big connect. I think, obviously, we're talking about consumption more than anything else at the moment. I know, Robbie, you're, you're a, a, an iPhone user, aren't you? So, I mean, yeah, do, I mean uh, do you follow this stuff? I mean, because your iPhone's looking very tight. When you look at, when you look at the size of my my Galaxy S5, and I'm seeing all these iPhones still about, and I think, God, they look so small now. Don't you feel, are you getting envy? 
No, I mean, I, I, I've got no desire to do like music things on my phone because I've, I've bought various apps in the past for it, and I just find it all a real pain in the ass. It's so, it's so fiddly, and you just—it's like Gaz said. I mean, I like doing stuff on the iPad, but I again, even with the iPad, I tend to use it like I'll go to like one app, like Waldorf Nave or whatever, and I'll hook it up through the iConnect MIDI Two Plus, and I'll get it into Logic. I'll do something. I'll commit it, and I'll move on. I'm not really interested in trying to build a whole studio ecosystem in a tiny little screen like this. I just, it just, you know, I've got much better things to be doing with my time. <laughs> That's what I feel like anyway. But I mean, so, you know, I, I actually use the phone and I, 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 have, I haven't got loads of apps on my phone. I like to just use it as a phone, as a camera, um, you know, just all the usual things really. Mm. Um, I just find it's just the whole form factor of it. Unless you're going to have like a giant phone the size of an iPad and, I mean, I, I haven't got pockets that big, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, uh, Rich. You were, you know, you've been kind of because you got into the iPad world and we're kind of are still pretty interested in the the whole app side of things. I mean, is it still very much the Apple it might, sort of microcosm, or are, we, are you seeing anything on the other devices? You're thinking actually, maybe I should try one of these instead. I'm thinking of both. <laughs> How's that for an elusive answer? That's pretty well, good. Well, I was I am thinking about getting a small tablet and my something that's lighter than obviously the brick the original iPad that I've got sitting over here and uh not quite that big. But I can completely relate to what Robbie's saying about using these things as mu music making machines. My interest is less than say my wonderful friend Gaz's. Um, but on the other hand, I'm quite often happy to have, at the very least, GarageBand, because I often need a pitch reference or want to do something very, very quickly to figure something out on a little tiny keyboard. But other than that, I don't tend to use it, or, you know, just pull it up Animog and play around for a minute. I don't tend to use it for music apps very much, um, as much as I carry, like, way too many of them on here. But uh, I use it like he does, as a mm. phone. It's interesting, isn't it? And that, but but you know, yet that these phones are now becoming immensely powerful. I mean, you know, as a software developer, Dave, I mean, you must see, you know, it's like a quad core two point five gigahertz chip in a phone, right? I mean, you could do some pretty serious business with that sort of thing if you were going to port any of your code into it, couldn't you? But but what? But yeah. what? Would you bother? Is there any point? I don't know. I, I, I've got I, I, very mixed feelings about all of this. There are parts. I completely agree. From a user's perspective, I totally agree with what Robbie said and Rich said. Sometimes I use phone apps as a sketch pad for something, but I've I noticed that I've never created anything of any use via my phone. <laughs> it's all small. It's just I'm kind of noodling around and mucking about. Whereas, say, sixty percent of what I create on my desktop or even a laptop will get used in some capacity. So this is kind of interesting from that angle. Also, I'm in, uh, I've been in the company lately of two sets of people, again, completely diametrically opposed. I've been working with a couple of people who will only use a phone as a phone and don't even want text messages because they don't want to be bothered while they're working, as it were. And there is a rule. You switch your phone off, you leave it in the thing at the door, and that's it. We go to work while we're in here. And I really like that. It's quite refreshing. And then on the other hand, I've also been in uh, situations where people have been pitching mobile apps 
at us or me or looking for investment or something like that. And I have to say, the minute anybody makes any reference at all to being the next Mark Zuckerberg, I just switch off. <laughs> so I'm completely, you know, I'm kind of over here on this and over here on that. So, yeah, I don't know is the honest answer. I'm conflicted, I think. is the mm, Interesting. It looks like in the chat room uh, there's quite a lot of uh, plus, plus ones and likes for... Uh, <laughs> guitar tuners in a phone that seems yeah. to be the number one utility that we're yeah. going to be using it for which i'm guessing yeah. you probably don't need a quad core 2.5 gigahertz machine to run that that's probably uh, enough isn't it just where i mean what what is good though i mean with a phone is just using it as a a component of a bigger system isn't it you know as as yeah. a means to collect information so actually something like sticking uh, i've i found that sticking a like this apogee mic into the uh, the iphone gets surprisingly excellent results much better than my field recorders uh so you know so as a sort of as a just a, a component these things are fantastic you know but um i think it's interesting what everybody's saying i i really kind of agree with it as well but um i still i'm still really intrigued by the idea of just like a system that's so powerful that it you just simply negates the need for anything else you know mm. it's just uh it's, it's fun, but it's funny you say that because it, it it's it's like we want it to be like that we want it to where we want off but in actuality they are probably not very well suited for the complicated gooey interactions that we need when we're talking about music production or some of the other things unless we get to the stage where i mean the one thing that i find with i've got this uh, galaxy note 2 which i i think it's great I, I love it and one thing that's really good at is if you talk to it it's incredibly good at uh, interpreting you know my voice into what i'm actually wanting it to say so if i'm driving along and need to send a text i could just kind of go blah 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 and most of the time it gets it absolutely right which is surprising and I do, you know, those are the sort of things that I suppose are where it's going to blur the back. We don't need so much gooey stuff. Can I just make one point? Yeah. I had a chat with Gaz recently, and he was telling me about, you know, this, his whole thing about when you're in a studio and somebody's got power of the mouse and whatever, and they're in front of the screen, and you don't quite know what's going on. You imagine the scenario where everyone, you know, you're doing your whole studio on a phone. Like, nobody <laughs> else is going to get a look in at all. It's just like your own <laughs> private little... <coughs> really kind of exclusive world where there's no interaction the smaller it gets the less inclusive it is for other people involved in the whole process yeah that's uh, uh, that's a very good point as well i mean it, it does make it a very personal thing i suppose um okay well let's see what else we're going to look at um what time have we got quarter to five um the, this the, the <laughs> I was kind of interested about the Mac Pro as well. I know we've talked a little bit of Apple-centric, but, I mean, it's out there and in the wild. I've actually got a video of someone unboxing one, which I was going to play. And I, I know that you've got something you want to mention about this, uh, Robbie, so I think we'll do it, because obviously these are now showing up. This is a guy called Marquez Brown, who uh, has got the Mac Pro in the building, as it were. And you can remove it using basically the top of it as a handle. And yes, it is as heavy as everyone says. If you watch other unboxings... What's interesting about this unboxing, we get on uh, and we got to see... We got to see more of the... Uh, the insides of it which do look pretty interesting and the, the fact that it's actually got an upgradable cpu i'm not sure what i'm doing i can't see my mouse there we go uh, so i'm sure some of you haven't gotten uh, hold on stop that hold on. 
It's one of the problems I've got. My camera that I'm looking into is right over the playback area of the video. So every time I try and... Anyway, that's a minor ergonomic point. Robbie, have you got one yet? Are you going to get one? Uh, no, I, no, I'm not going to get one yet because I, I bought the original Mac Pro when it came out. The, I bought an eight-core machine whenever it was, like seven years ago. And that machine was like the best bit of music investment I ever paid for because it was like two and a half grand when I got it and it lasted me six years of making albums it was like a, and I sold it for like 700 quid so you know that was an amazing you know return for my investment um, but I needed a new machine about a year or so ago and I knew kind of what the rumors were going to be about the new Mac and that it was likely to be a machine without any you know expansion you're going to have to use Thunderbolt and stuff so I just took the pragmatic decision of buying another Mac Pro at the time because I've got three three Apple's 24-inch cinema displays in here and stuff. And I just thought, I know that when Apple finally do this, it's going to mean not just buying a machine, it's going to mean a whole rethink of how I, work, how I distribute stuff to monitors, how I'm going to get stuff to with hard drives, storage, you know, my Apogee Symphony system, all that kind of thing. So I just thought, all I need at this time is some more raw power. So I'm buying this machine, and it will probably last me another three or four years, by which stage... When Apple do bring out a new machine, perhaps the whole kind of shock for everybody of having to move across the Thunderbolt will kind of have, have kind of died down and there'll be much more peripherals available and stuff. And I'm glad I did it because kind of that is what's happened. And when I recently priced up to buy a Mac Pro as I would want it now, by the time I bought like a Magma chassis that I would want for the to put some hard drives in and to house UAD cards, it was going to cost me £8,000. So... You know, £8,000 for a machine that effectively gives me just a bit more power than what I've got now, and I haven't even used all the power in my machine. So eventually, I'm sure I'll have to. Like everybody, I'll have to make the move. And the, everybody moans about having to move to Thunderbolt. It doesn't matter if you're going to go out and buy yourself an iMac or a laptop or whatever. Everybody's going to have to move to Thunderbolt eventually. Mm. So I think the whole point of you know people moaning that it's only got Thunderbolt is not just for the Mac Pro. It's across the whole range. So. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I because I was looking at this recently, I was thinking, well, maybe if they if you could buy a PCI card that had Thunderbolt, it would make so much sense because then you could start to migrate your you know your drives and all these other things to Thunderbolt in your Mac Pro. And then by the, so by the time you needed a new computer which only had Thunderbolt, you know, you'd at least have some of the peripherals going across. But I don't know if that's actually possible. I th I'm guessing it's not. Uh, Rich, this, these are the sort of things that must be kind of concerning you as well because you, they, you get to a point where, you know, the certain time, you know, are you going to jump, are you not? Because you've got a big, hard-working system, right, that has a lot of stuff hooked off it. Well, yeah, I have, we have a big system. And... Do I foresee ending up with one of these at some point? Absolutely. What? I'm not running out right now to do it. Um, if somebody asked me to create a second system, either for myself or for somebody else to use, I would seriously consider which one of those options I would do and base it around the new computer. Right. If I could find software that ran on it, for example. There are scenarios under which I could see doing it in the near future, but I'm not running out to replace the working rig I have now with this, with the, you know, the umbrella stand, the wastebasket, <laughs> whatever you like to call it. It has um, a number of monikers, yeah. It's, uh, it is lovely, and I'm fascinated. I'd really love to try one. Yeah, I it think it has to be wicked fast. I mean, as they say here in New England, wicked fast. It, you have, it has to be really 
super special yeah i would think uh, th- given some of the things that are in it. So I'd like to try one, but it's not so much that I'm looking to replace my work environment with it right away. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think I think this, you know, this is much more attractive to the video professional than perhaps it is to the audio professional at this point. And maybe there'll be a more audio centric or more, you know, a, a, an easier path to upgrade if one has to in the future. I know, Gaz, you look like you wanted to come in there. You were uh, leaning forward and I thought, oh, <laughs> Here he goes. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, well, it, I mean, it, it's a it's an interesting product, isn't it? In in that it is just redefined the image of a of a desktop. You know, it's sort of. It, 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 I wonder if other companies will follow suit and make similar sort of or, or completely different, but 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 inspired in the in that the the. the the chassis instead of it being this kind of um oblong thing that could be in into a beautiful object uh so i'm quite interested to see what effect that will have and how it'll probably be a few years i think i remember being astonished that it took other manufacturers many years before they started copying the imac design the you know the, the the all in the screen kind of computer design it took several years before i saw anything remotely like an imac um so i wonder if this mac pro is going to be out there on its own for a while just purely in a design aesthetic Mm. um but uh it's a you know i was thinking about what a lovely system it'd be if you had one of those one of those new apollo desktop uh what are they called the apollo apollo twin yeah an Apollo twin, one of those, and uh, an HD projector. <laughs> 4K screen, yeah. I mean, mm. that sort of level of information. No, I think you might be right. It's like one of those things that's uh, uh, more of a design, maybe more of a design thing to keep Apple uh, as appearance at the top. Because uh, currently, like I say, their smartphones are not you know, the pinnacle where they have been for an awfully long time. So maybe it, it fulfills a purpose. Oh, Dave, yeah, I'm guessing you probably don't have a need for one. I mean, there's, there isn't, I mean, if you're not maxing out your current, Matt, there's really no need, is there? I got one. Oh no, that was a wine cooler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, honestly, every operating system that Apple bring out uh, usually involves us in at least one or two new computers because we have to run everything kind of in parallel. Uh, so at, right at this moment in time, no. Although I do completely agree again with what Robbie said in terms of, you know, once I've never looked at any of our Macs, certainly that I've had to use and gone, actually, that wasn't particularly good value for money because over the long term, they really do pay for themselves. Yeah. And, and generally, we kind of, it's normally about two and a half grand. That's what we'll spend on each setup. And when you equate that to what that earns, you kind of go, actually, that's pretty damn good value for money. And the fact that, you know, up until recently, you're not upgrading it every 30 seconds. Yeah, I think... So, that- yeah, there may come a time. But I think, again, you're right in terms of uh, this, is for the t- this is for the 4K lot. This is yeah. the film industry. That's right. Okay. Can I just, can yes. I just say one thing, last thing about it? Sorry. was uh, To me, the best thing about it is, is the fact that, you know, yeah, it may be expensive, you know, at that high end, but it does show that Apple aren't d- d- deserting the pro market, which is, to me, the best thing about it. Yeah. Is that I kind of feel confident that I know that when I want to buy a Mac, chances are there's going to be another high-end Mac that I'll be able to buy. 
I mean, that was the best thing about it for me, really. Yeah, it shows the commitment to the actual product line, which is something that we were getting a bit worried about because we didn't see an upgrade for an awfully long time, did we? So, yeah, yeah I think that's a very good point, Robbie. Um, perhaps there's time for uh, our cellist story because this was also interesting because obviously um, if you want to buy one of these things, you're going to have to earn some cash. So I think I have a video to play. I've just got to uh, go to the right page and... Um, where is it? I think it's number two. There we go. This is Zoe Keating. Uh, she's a cellist. Uh, does a lot of stuff with looping. This is what she's, she's performing here on uh, Chase Jarvis Live, who I'm guessing is a uh, US kind of personality host kind of guy. This looks like a great setup. I'm jealous of the setup and the, having the actual cameramen. So she's using Ableton Live. And interestingly enough, I don't know if they, you get a shot in this, there'll be a shot of her with uh, the Keith McMillan soft step where she's tricking loops. And, and that looks like it could be a 414 in the corner. Gear spotting. Nice bit of panning there. There's a guy filming it on his phone, look. Anyway, um, I won't play it all. Uh, Zoe Keita, you know, she's, she's been doing all right. She's been selling uh, a number of albums and streams and what have you. And what was quite interesting, she tweeted uh, not that long ago, just she sent out a spreadsheet of like, this is what I earn from my music stuff. And I've got a, a screenshot of it here. There are actually 44 other people viewing it. I'm, I'm guessing she must have sent it to uh, read only. Otherwise, we could all change those figures and she'd look like a multimillionaireess or even a... But it's what's interesting is, you know, the, the majority of the income seems to basically come from iTunes, as far as I can tell. Uh, $38,000. And then when you get down to the streaming, it's where it just completely goes. So she's made uh, physical sales, Bandcamp, Amazon, uh, iTunes, 75000 bucks, which I'm guessing isn't bad. I don't know how hard she has to work for that. I mean, that's uh, I don't know what, what the average wage is in the US, but I'm guessing it's sort of, that's probably above average. And then about six just over 6,000 bucks for all the streams. And, uh, you know, we have spoken about this before, about what is the sort of, what's the model that, that's going to work. She doesn't do many gigs and stuff. Um, but it's an interesting, eye-opening thing. You know, we're all used to using the streams, but streams are just basically not in any way driving any kind of revenue unless of course they're they're driving sales and i don't know about that and robbie i'm guessing you know you're working with for record companies you know producing acts and producing singles and, and what have you i mean is there any change in the way that they're asking you to do things based on what the final delivery will be in terms of whether it's going to stream or mp3 i'm not talking technically i'm talking maybe artistically um no not really but i'm seeing a kind of a I'm seeing a shift. Quite a lot of the people I've been working with recently are, are going with this whole model of wanting to just create really lovely product for their core audience and, you know, and, and putting all their efforts into that. So making premium product, you know, a special product for however many people that they've got as their core fan base and making that product a premium product that those people really want to buy. And ironically, for some of those people, it works out way better in terms of what they earn than spreading it all through all these small little revenue streams. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, there is a shift with some people to wanting to, you know, provide something for their fan base that is a nice thing that they can have, again, which is nice. So you're talking more about uh, custom formatting uh, rather yeah, than necessarily... Like, like, like an album with like, a book, with like a book about the making of it or, you know, extra content that goes with that and, you know, that kind of thing. Something that you'd want to get at home, look at and, you know you'd feel a bit like the old days of getting an album i guess but um but but really send making it cent centered around your core fan base so 
you know, those people buy into kind of helping your career sustain, really, and carry on. Yeah, and I'm guessing, you know, uh, consult- is consulting with them as to what they want a part of that process? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And them feeling a part of it. Mm. You know, to me, that, that, I, I like that whole idea. And, and I think that's kind of interesting that, that the, the, like you said, the bulk of the money is coming from those sorts sources other than like the streaming sources like Spotify and things. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Rich, I mean, you're in the studio making this kind of product. I mean, are you finding that you're having to deliver different formats because of this bespoke kind of slightly different thing or is it still pretty much the two-track master and that's all that's, all that's required, maybe a few different mixes? Oh, lately the multitude of things I've been asked to provide is, is vast and uh, seemingly endless at times because whatever you think the stems should be doesn't turn out to be what the guy who's got to mix them thinks they should be. And it's like you start to wonder why you don't just send them the damn multi-track. But right. uh, yes, the whole concept, the whole methodology, the whole workflow has changed. Now you mix it, but it's not your mix. Now you're going to send a bunch of stems off to somebody else who's going to create either a better record, a different record, the same record, some other, re- you know, it's, I don't, I can't claim to fully understand this process. Is that, but a, sometimes a, I'm asked to mix things and I'm happy to do it. How's that? Yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> I, I guess the, the other thing is, is also, you know, are there other aspects to it? Like, you know, stuff that you, you wouldn't get on the record, sort of little extras, you know, here's a bit of an outtake, you know, just so that there's more content to be sold, you know, to give it extra value aside from just the, 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 the formats of mixes. I, I observe that to be true, yes. Right. I have nothing to do with its creation usually, but um, as I look at things that we've done pieces for, they're typically we're typically adding. I mean, for example, one example is they released a chic box set a few years ago, and we had to add some songs to it to the existing repertoire, things that the fans were interested in having that they had never heard before, and uh, so that would have been sort of the value added portion of this compilation of essentially existing recordings mm. okay so yeah For, as one as one example right so it's very much the onus is to kind of it's artist i mean it's good that artists are also involved in the process of figuring out how to i, I, I use the word exploit like you know i don't mean it in in, in, a, in a in a bad way to exploit the creative spark that kind of generated the record in the first place and i guess i mean you're kind of you know you've just recently done a couple of uh tracks with uh your band which are very very basic recordings but you know true to uh, the essence of the creative spark i mean are you finding actually well maybe i could do a a little extra thing where there's this that and the other to, to provide more or you know how's that working for you um well i was i've just been pondering over this idea that uh if you just listen to streamed music whether you don't develop certain uh relationships with music that in the future you won't have like nostalgic feelings about uh and just because it's always it never exists in your life in a permanent way because it's always this kind of thing that's this distant thing it's it's a virtual thing whether that whether the memory of that music will always be a bit virtual as well you know that that that, that the ownership the physical ownership of it having it in your house in your hands nearby kind of keeps it like a present object in your mind and you don't like i just wonder how much music just 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 flows away in in the history of time because of the lack of physical presence in your life and whether that is uh you know 
whether that's a, a good or bad thing, I don't know, you know, but I think it's, it, uh, I was misty eyed listening to Camels, the snow goose the other day. It's a real kind of prog album from the seventies, but I've been listening to it from, I don't know, late eighties. Uh, and I still listen to it and I love it, but you know, <laughs> we used to use the cover. Um, well, we used to use the cover for numerous things I won't mention about, but uh, we used to use the cover, uh, I, I, we used to read through the track titles and it was an instrumental album. We used to sort of like fantasize about the story of the album, you know, the music telling a story. And, uh, and But it was the physical, it, that music was interacting with us in a f- physical way through its cover, you know. So it was the music and the cover. And I have a real nostalgia for that and a love for that, that maybe is related to the physical if this is making sense you know mm, yeah um, i think i think I, see, I hear what you're saying and so just just to say that like that maybe the streaming thing hasn't been providing people with a great value service in the end after all because what it's in effect provided is a, just a transitory momentary thing without you know and it's a lot, of, lot gone down the river, you know. I suppose so. You don't always remember what you were doing while you were sat in front of your computer listening to a track on a pair of tiny speakers for the first time, you know. But whereas if you were in your car or, you know, at a party or at a gig or something, then you've got something more to it where it's, yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? I guess in some Great. way, in some Great. way, it's in some ways what, you're do- what you have to do with delivering digital content in terms of software and instrument has to have parallels as well you know extra you know because you have to provide extra voices or you know there's other things that presumably you could kind of put out with it i don't know not plectrums but you know cardboard cutouts well actually it's what's fascinating is you've just used the word that nobody is allowed to use here and that word is content this is not content what we do and what musicians make is not just mere content and that yeah. word drives me nuts. If we have a meeting with a company and they refer to any of our work as content, the meeting is over. It's done. Oh dear, sorry. And I find that really interesting because that actually echoes a lot of what Gaz was saying is that music has kind of become just content. Anything digital is just content. And it's not. It's far more than that. And it's far more than zeros and ones. It's the whole process that goes on behind it. And yet, I still, I'm beginning to struggle because... Sometimes I'm not finding music as immersive as I used to find it. And I go through stages, sometimes it'll be amazing. The other night, for example, I found what I think is the ultimate streaming, which is the radio. I discovered uh, six radios, you know, BBC (laughs) Six, which just played a whole evening of music that I would not have selected had I have gone to Spotify or any of those other... So curated. And it was just brilliant because... Of a four-hour show, it was Rob Bank on Friday night on Radio 6 Mix. In a four-hour show, I heard our instruments on three tracks, which I immediately went to investigate and then purchased and whatnot. And I'll buy everything through iTunes or wherever I can, really. Yeah. But I kind of feel like I'm a bit of a old git. I know I am, really, but because we buy music. Chris buys music all the time. I buy music all the time. Even when people come and give us CDs or say, oh, I'll send you my CD, we go, oh, no, tell us where we can buy it. Because I love the idea that what we do and what musicians do is kind of all part of the same eco-structure and that we sort of support each other. And I, would li- I like spending my money on music, whereas I meet so many other people who go, it's just content. 
yeah if you, if you if you spend money on music though you are in a sense investing into that music aren't you yeah. you have something invested so you want that music you, you know you're buying that music into your life in a way aren't you and you're you know so i wonder again without having that you you don't have the attachment to music in the same way do you if you haven't actually bought it so when you stream it it's just it's like on the other side of the window you know yeah yeah yeah, I think, and that's, the, I, I suppose that's the, 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 the like you're saying, the, the, the connection between the emotional, the emotion that goes into creating music, because, you know, for some people it's an instinctive thing, you know, other people have to work at it really hard. There's all sorts of, you know, differing uh, processes that go into it. And then for it to be consumed in such an offhand way does perhaps make it, uh, it, it, it does devalue the whole process somewhat, I, I guess. And, and I'm guessing, or oh. well, Phil, oh. no. Go yeah. rich. <laughs> you do. You weren't doing it for them in the first place. I suppose. But if you're, into or if the, you were, if you were, oh, let's put it this way: if you were, I don't think that's the best reason to want to do it. Yeah, I guess that's the true. That, that, oops, I just pressed the wrong button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so, okay, so, no, 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 anyway, that's enough of that. <laughs> I don't agree. Good night. No. I, I, <laughs> but it, I mean, do, you know, to get a bit all hippie about it, it, does it not not contribute to the overall good energy and feeling there is around or can be around music when it, when the, you know half or a majority of where it actually ends up? is essentially kind of glorified elevator music, which is something that people were kind of getting pretty annoyed about when elevator music was a derogatory term. But now music is so pervasive and so, you know, content-based where it's just like, I just need to pump it out there because of that some, I don't know what it does for marketing or whatever. It just becomes less valuable emotionally, has commercial value in in some ways, but not, not, in, not but it's not tied with the emotion as well so much. I'm, I'm with Dave on the whole, you know, if I like an album, I'll go and buy the album from iTunes or whatever. Because, you know, like you say, and like Gaz said, when, you, when you're paying for someone's music, you're, you're putting something back in. And that's what I was saying about fans who, who like to buy something from, from an artist and they're prepared to pay a premium for a special thing that's for them because cause they are contributing to be able to keep that artist going and doing what they love doing and making the music that they want to hear. And, um, you know, it, it does... I don't think it's I don't think it's an old fashioned concept to to want to kind of promote to, to to promote art and music and film and all that and and by by putting money back in from our own pockets by actually paying for stuff we're doing that and I meet so many people who in the music industry who don't do that which amazes me because you know I just think it's like having respect for somebody else's work and all the time they put in yeah I think that's a very valid point and uh, and one that feels like quite a good a good point to perhaps end on. Um, I know we didn't cover all the topics this week, but um, that's okay. It's good. It's free flowing conversation. I'm glad we've had a good wholesome audience with us uh, this week. Actually, we've had a like I say a bumper chat room. I think it must be something to do with the fact that I've re I discovered that during Nam I'd had to switch off the broad podcasting live now because I was using that to trail our live blogs and uh, I just switched it on today and it seems to have done wonders for the live viewers numbers. So yes, great to have you aboard. We do appreciate the. Uh, the chat room uh, people because uh, they not only is their opinion uh, very much healthy it kind of adds an extra frisson to the whole uh, event and also uh, when i'm struggling for um, facts uh, i'm often uh, helped out by the chat room so i'll just give them a bit of full screen school full screen love there thank you very much oh 
I don't know what that's... That's interesting. We're all on the... <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the same... I was thinking, hold on a minute, didn't that happen half an hour ago? But it's, I think it was the same line going past again, just uh, reiterated. Thank you. So, let's be... so um, thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Uh, it's been great as ever. Uh, I'll say goodbye to you in reverse order. So uh, I'm going to say to you, Robbie, thank you very much for joining us. And where... You must tell me again, where do people find you? Uh, well, the Sushi Friday project. It's at Sushi Friday Music um, on Facebook, and we've got our own fan page if you were uh, with all the with all the information and video blogs and stuff so yeah you can catch us there or just robbie bronneman on twitter sushi friday music is that dot com or is that on facebook on facebook okay yeah. right i must admit i had trouble finding it and um, you need to put i'll put more links in the show notes so i uh, when you look for sushi friday there's all sorts of other facebook groups that are actually eating sushi on a friday <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know whether or not <laughs> you do it's the music on the end of it <laughs> But anyway, you need, you need to get an SEO expert in. I'm sure it'll work one, but I've enjoyed the stuff that I've seen so far. So thank you very much, Robbie. It's been a pleasure having you on. And, and your your lighting has kept me animated. It's changing Good. beautifully. I'm going to have lasers next time. Are you? Awesome. No, that That's a, not a bad thing. idea. Yeah. And also, thank you very much, Rich Hilton. Uh, there, I was ready to jump into a... a, a, a a sort of running snow plow to get him to work. Or a, uh, right, dog sled. <laughs> dog <the> sled. <laughs> Is it really? You have to hitch up the dog. <laughs> wow, it's really that. I may have to make a phone call about that. It's like almost whiteout blizzard out there right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty. It's really coming down. Real-time weather reports as well on Sonic Talk, folks. So if you're in the uh, eastern seaboard area, there's snow. That's all I you can tell you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rich. Pleasure to have you as ever. Thanks for coming on. Always fun. Thank you, guys. Uh, we'll also go there to Dave Spears, g4software.com. Uh, also, in fact, you've got one of those little Philips lights up there above the... Uh, but it's not on at the moment. It's the LED donut. You haven't got a remote control uh, for... Oh, yeah. No, uh, I can't remember what it's called. I've had it for yonks. Yeah, they're great, anyway. aren't they? Jolly good. Living Colours. Living Colours. Yeah, it just kind of Yeah, isn't that the, the the famous drum break from the remix, Living Colour? What was that? Love Riz, exactly heard again. Cool. That, now that is that is break spotting <laughs> for you. Um, and uh, Vernon Reed actually does listen to the show. I can't believe it. I mean, he, he used <laughs> to anyway. I don't know if he does anymore, <laughs> but he did because I remember I've told this story loads of time. And I'm going to tell it again. Uh, Nam, several years ago, I was walking along. There was this sort of celeb type entourage coming towards me, and out of it appears this hand, grabs me, and says, "Yeah, oh, you're Nick Bat. Shake you by the hand. I'm like, man, your podcast is great." And it was Vernon <laughs> Reed. And I just went absolutely bright red and sort of went. Blah, blah, blah. But anyway, if he is still listening. Um, that's a treasured memory, Vernon. Anyway, um, and so back, Gaz Williams. GazWilliams.me, bass player who looks like he's about to play some kind of bass solo. Ah. I feel like I should. Dave, you need to be now hitting the uh, ride cymbal with the tips of your uh, tip of your sim so we can have a little. Ding, 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 ding. I've got an electron uh, analog keys here, which I probably can play out of. Have you got that? How long have you got that there for, Nick? Uh, until I finish the review. So I'm going to come over. I want to go. I've, I've, you want to go? I've, I've got the gas big for it at the moment. Have you? you know? uh, well, it, yeah. do, it does sound absolutely lovely. 
It's got some I, very interesting ideas. It's got, it's got um, as well as LFOs, it's got like three or four other modulation uh, separate things for vibrato and, you know, there's lots and lots of LFOs in it, which is, makes it some very, and, and each oscillator's got, or each voice has got dual filters. And there's some very, very nice um, stuff going on there. I don't have a camera well, set up on it at the moment. There's that mode, isn't there? Is it called the multi-mode? I've only just found out about it. There's a wonderful video by Cuckoo, someone I think's great. He does these great videos, uh, where he's playing the new multi, the multi-mode in the analog keys. And basically, what that is is that you've got a totally different patch on every key. Yeah, so I'm, just, I'm just looking at that actually now. There's there. Well, you get drum voices. Yeah, it's not playing because I think it's got a. I must have it. I've edited it and inadvertently. So you get like six or seven drum voices, and then something else. I I have to say though, much as I love it, it is infuriatingly difficult to find your way around, and uh, I'm finding that I'm finding that I'm kind of going. I like the synth, but. It's, I just want to set the polyphony for the track, right? Where do I do that? I have to go into kit. Right. I have to go, it's just... Ri- and it smacks a little bit. I mean, because the, the operating system was initially uh, um, brought out for the machine drum, which was a fantastically groundbreaking drum machine, but it doesn't seem to have moved out of that very far. It just seems to have adapted. It's got that slight sort of kind of needs to have a major software iteration in turbo operating system, but they haven't done it this time. So it makes everything is kind of bolted. Oh yeah, you get to that by going to this one and then through here. It's just a little bit like frustrated when you're just going, I just want to do this. And it's yeah. like, okay, well now I know how to do it. I mean, it, once you start learning, it does feel quite intuitive, but that learning curve is like this. It's like a flipping, you know, vertical... <laughs> Yes, I won't. Wow. Use, yeah, but it's. Uh, but when you're there, I did. I did warn you of this. I knew it was. I, I knew that this was the case. Um, yeah, but I think. Doing? But you I think, see it. But I think the thing is, uh, last time I used Electron stuff, it was just as a drum machine, so it wasn't actually all of the other stuff that there's going on in it as well, which is kind of complicated. But, but there will be a review forthcoming, and I have to say, I know Mark was because Mark had it for a little while as well, and. Uh, it really does smell of new synthesizer. This whole room, which is a big room, even though it's been out of the box for ages, still smells very strongly of synth- sort of that new... I, I don't know what they do. I mean, maybe they've got some special kind of, um, you know, scratch and sniff technology in there or something, but it really is a very smelly synthesizer, I have to say. Tweak and sniff. Sorry. Sorry. Tweak and sniff. Tweak and sniff, yeah, that's a much better idea. Just Quick question, Nick. Is it uh, after such on the keyboard? Yeah. And uh, what is the key bed like? Is it is it decent? It's good. It's got a really bizarre... This is, I'll see if I can move this. Hold on. You just have to give me a bit of... I might be able to get it into... Oh, I might have to turn it off. Here we go. Clack. It's got a really strange construction. As you look at that, and then you look underneath, what they've done is they've, they've left... Oh... All of that Ooh. stuff off the bottom. Oh, so, like that. so you know, getting, Snap. yeah, getting Snap. out, getting out of the box. I, I, I was like, oh, hold on, I think I might break one of these keys. It's a really peculiar design decision because, really, you know, I would say I want that bit filled so that there's only yep. sort of this much sticking out, or oh, you know that. So it's a really peculiar um, design decision, I guess, because the water, the keys here, that's where the you know, the waterfall bit is, you know, so that's where you can't get under them. But, it, yeah, it's a very unusual concept. And that, that's... That's to get knackered live. Well... Which instrument is that? That's the analog keys. That's... I thought they were white. 
That's funny. They make them in different colors. No, there's uh, an analog keys. Uh, the uh, the thing that you might have seen at Nam was the um, the rhythm. No, I saw them both. Oh, okay, right, gotcha. And maybe I'm just misremembering it then. No, I think one I is on its way here, actually. So we'll it see. sounds absolutely lovely. I have to say, it really does. But um, it's just you're going to have to. It's as I, was, as I was saying to Mark. Um, this is getting a bit off topic, but I was saying to Mark, you know, you know, you both him and I occasionally refer people to instruments. Say, I'm looking for something, you know, and I say, well, would you would you actually give this to any one of your clients as a sound source? And he just said, I couldn't because they wouldn't be able to use it straight away. And, and, you know, both me and him have probably combined 50 years experience in using music technology. And we were, you know, we were struggling. So, you know, that's the thing. You, you just have to work the way that they have made it. And that's, that's, quite, that's quite challenging for, for, um, for somebody who maybe just wants the sound of the electron. You know, do you see what I mean? They're not going to get the most out of it without having to learn a whole load of stuff. And that's, that's, that's the thing that's kind of making it difficult to, to see how it's... Where it where it is sits. there is there any real time software support? It can, is there like an editor that works in real time on your computer for the thing, so you don't have to look through that tiny little postage stamp at it? No, I don't think there is. Um, uh, one thing I will say though is the script when you hit like amplitude or oscillator or whatever, it's very you're very quick to get to the those kind of sound making things. It's the deeper and more unusual aspects that are complicated to get to. So someone okay. will make a touch ask for it or something, won't they? Maybe so. I don't know. I haven't got as deep uh, to find out whether or not it actually, uh, you know, everything has its own parameter, um, as it were. I don't know yet. I haven't got into that, but that that's presumably will be the case, I guess. But I don't know. Anyway, um, that is kind of uh, yes. That's the uh, the electron analog keys interlude, which will be coming soon. Um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll say goodbye and thank you ever so much, everybody, for joining us. And um, I can now press the fade to back. But I feel like when I press this, I'm like. Um, the person who did the Gus Honeybun um, uh, routine in the, in the UK. And we're now going to turn the lights off for somebody's special birthday. And here it comes. And then, actually, this one could go for Rich. It's Rich Beach, our guitars editor. It was his birthday yesterday. 25. Can you believe that? <laughs> here it goes. See you later.